0: <laughs> okay, so we're learning Daaf Gimel. So we're starting right on the, the bottom of Basement Basement, the two dots. We're trying to figure out what the word R means. We know that R means light in general. We're trying to figure out if it can mean daytime or nighttime. At this point in the Gemara, it's makhlokis in Rabbi Yehuda and Rav Huna. Uh Rabbi Yehuda was under the impression that it means night. Rabbi was under the impression that it means day. And it means makhlokis, when you do Bidikas Kamis? According to Rav you do it in the 14th in the morning. According to Rabbi Yehuda, you do it uh, at the 14th at night. So the Gemara asks, Metsveh. Look at the Lashon of the Mishnah here that's being uh, discussed. So here what we're talking about is a woman. The halacha is that after she gives birth for a female, she has two weeks of Tamil, of Tumah. After that, she can immerse in the Mikvah. for the next 66 days, no matter how much blood she sees, it seems like it's all down The halacha is that she's Tahora, no matter what. At the end of that process, after day 80 and the day 81, she brings karbonos. So what happens, theoretically, she could go to the mikvah after day 14. She's mother with her husband, and then she could subsequently have another miscarriage between day 14 and day uh, 80. That could happen. So we learn in Xerath HaKasov that she only has to bring one set of karbanos for all multiple births and miscarriages. Until she finished and completed the term of 80 days, any miscarriage or birth, which is quote like a birth that happens in the interim, can be covered by the same set of karbanos. So what happens here in the Mishnah of Apelles or the Year, her miscarriage takes place on the night of the 81st. So her term of the 80 is over, but she couldn't have brought her carbon until the morning of day 81. So it's a very tricky time. It's like, is her term over or it's not? On the one hand, it's past the 80 days, but she couldn't have brought the carbon. So it's... Beishamai <laughs> says she is still exempted with the same carbon. She can bring one set of carbonos for her original birth and it covers the second miscarriage as well. Misul says, no, since uh, it happened after the term of 80 days, she has to bring a second set of karma. What's the difference between the 81st night and the 81st day? Meaning the same way everybody concedes that if she would miscarry on day 81, even if it's before she, because it's before she had actually brought the carbon, it still doesn't matter. Since it's day 81, which is the time that she could bring her carbon, and now if she subsequently mis- mis- uh, miscarries on that day, she has to bring a second one. So why is the night 81 different than day 81? And the second argument, im shiva lalatumah leishu alun The same way, in, in the, what would happen for blood that she would see on the night 81? Let's take it away from whether she has to bring a second offering. If she would see more blood on night 81, is that blood of Tumma or blood of Tahara? Everybody agrees that's blood of tuma. So clearly you see that the term is completed after day 80. So the same way we say in regard for blood that she would see on night of 81, she beat Mea, so so too if she, if, uh, if she miscarries a night on, on uh, the night of the 81st, we should say it's a new it's a new cheshman and it's a new account and she has to bring a new karma. So what, what does R mean in the Mishnah? That's what we're looking at. The Mishnah said, someone who's ma'pelles, R, of Achad. So Kumar now brings its proof. From the fact that Besolot said to be'shamah, Mishnah R, shmona They said, why is the R of the 81st different than the morning of the 81st? Clearly, what do we see in this context? Sh'ma mina R, or tohu. That R, of Achad, that the Mishnah was describing means, the night of the eighty first, so we see like Rabbi Yehuda's position that the word R means night. Shema The Gemara takes this as a as a strong proof that. It, so too in our Mishnah, when it said that you do b'dikas chametz on R of Ababa Asar, it should mean on the night of the fourteenth. Continues the Gemara with another proof madezvei. So here we're talking about different karbanos. So karbanos when you bring a lot of them are eaten. So most karbanos are eaten the day that you bring it, meaning the remainder of the day. If you bring it at three thirty p.m., that's Whatever it is left during the day, you could eat it then and the following night. And then it's over. At dawn at dawn the next day, you have to finish the carbon. But a carbon shlamim is unique. The shlamim is the anomaly. It's eaten the entire next day as well. So you can eat it until the following shkia, until the following sunset. So we'll call that a shlamim is eaten for two days and one night. The day that you bring it the following night, and the entire ensuing day. That's the way a Shlomim is eaten. So the b'risa says, or shlishi, one might think it could not only be eaten until sunset of the second day, but maybe it could be eaten in the following night, the third night as well. And why would I think that v'dinu? Because it's logical. Regular kavanos are eaten for only one day, and shlamim are eaten for two days just as by a regular carbon, which is eaten for one day, the night that follows is just like the day, meaning you have the following night as well. So I would say by Shlomim, the only discrepancy is that you have the second day, but then the ensuing, the, the night that follows the second day, the night of the third, you should have that as well. So in order to say that that's wrong, that by Shlomim you can have to finish it by sunset, BiYom so we make a drasha from all the emphasis that it has to be yom. We we expound. But It must be finished. The carbon must be completed by sunset of day two, and you do not have the following night to eat it. So So one would think, let's say they did the wrong thing and they left over meat. So what happens when you have leftover meat from a carbon? It's called nosar, and the dinner is that nosar is burned. So one would think that you could burn the meat of a shlomim that was left over as soon as Shia finishes, because it's no longer the time frame to eat it. The dinu, because it's logical. It's, we have the idea that carbonas are eaten for one day and the night afterwards, and shlomim are eaten for two days in the night in the middle. So just as by a regular carbon, where you have the day and the following night to eat it, as soon as this ma'hilah is over, which by a regular carbon means when? Dawn of the morning. Right way, immediately, if you have any moser, you could burn it. You could burn it in the morning. So, af khan, so too, the parallel by shlomim would mean, tekev that as soon as this man elapses to eat, which by shlomim is sunset of day two, then immediately after that time, as soon as the night time comes, you should be able to burn it. So, how do we, how do we know that's not true? Tamaloma, the Pasuk says, anything left over from the meat of the carbon, talking about shlomim, by Yom HaShlishi, on the day of the, the, the third one, by Ishi Sarfitzburn. So we expound, by Yom Atasoreth, the Atasoreth of Balal, We have Exeret HaKasov, that you can only burn the meat of Noser during the day, not at night. So we have a very interesting phenomenon. The Dizman HaAchilas HaAkarvan is over when at sunset of day two, then you have this buffer zone that the entire night that follows, you can't eat, But it's also not eligible to be burned as no-say. You can only burn it the following morning. So let's just summarize what we learned there. Regular carbon, you eat the day you bring and the following night. It's very simple. As soon as that night is over, it's too late to eat it anymore and you can immediately burn it. Shalom is complicated. You have another day to eat it. When we say we have another day, we only mean until the sunset you can eat it. After that point, you can't eat it. It's forbidden to eat it. But there's no din srefa You cannot fulfill the mitzvah of burning the nosar until the following morning. Okay, so that concludes what we're learning. What does it have to do with us? So, midika amar, from the language that was used at the Bride said, yehinechel or shlishi, it said that I would say you could eat the shlamim, remember, in the in the Mima, which isn't true. But we would have thought you could eat it on the ar of shlishi. r. what does the word ar mean? Or tahu. It means night, says the gemar. again. shmami. Another conclusive proof, too, the opinion of... Rav Yehuda, if R there means night, so to hear an our Mishnah, R also means the night of the 14th. Says the Gemara Tashma. yet another proof to Rav Yehuda. Or show Yom Kippurim in the time frame of Or, of Yom Kippur Mispalosheva, a person davenes Shemona Esrei that consists of seven brachos. Right, you have the first three, the last three, and then the, the one big bracha that relates to the holiness of the day of Yom Kippur. Um, misvadeh, and one makes a confession during the Shemona Esrei. Shachris, what do you do during the morning? Now, it's, for some reason, it's very interesting, gear said skips Nailah, for another discussion. For some reason, it just completely skips Nailah, but then it says, Arvis, which is a reference to the Meiriv, which follows Yom Kippur, Mespalom Shmona esrei. You don't have to daven for Esrei. The reason is, people have just fasted. It's a horrible Terecha to daven the Esrei. So there's a consolidated version called Havinenu, if you remember from Masechah's brachos, which basically just takes one catchphrase from each bracha and makes Shimon Esrei a lot shorter. So you're allowed to do that, on Matzah Yom Kippur because everybody's got to go eat. That's what the first opinion says. The second opinion disagrees. Then they should No, you can't say havinenu. You have to daven in four shmona esr. You know why you have to? Because it's matze Yantif. And a matze Yantif, you have to say atachon antonu. Atachon antonu has to be res- inserted inside of the brach of atachonin. So you need a brach of atachonin. If you're going to say the consolidated version of havinenu, you don't have an atachonin to insert. The uh, So you're compelled to make the full Shmona Esrei. Okay, so a dispute. Whether Meyer, at the end of uh, Yom Kippur, you can say Havineinu or not. But what do we want from this, from this b'raisa? Alma, the opening line of the b'raisa was that an or of Yom Kippur, you in a shmone Esrei of seven brach to Alma or or to who? Clearly, contextually, we see that or means night. Shmaminah. Again, another conclusive proof to Rabbi Yehuda. Says the Gemara Tashma. And here's where it's a real knockout because it's going to be talking exactly about the din of our Mishnah. There was a brisa which came out of Shmuel's yeshiva. Meaning Shmuel didn't mean, Shmuel's not a, a, a tana, but there was a brisa that they had a tradition that came from the Shmuel's yeshiva, which the brisa said as follows. Lele Arba Asar which Lele clearly means night on the night of the 14th Boknesa chametz R and now you check for the chametz by candlelight Alma so if obviously the Braithers doesn't disagree with the Mishnah so if our Mishnah said r and the prize said Lele Alma Ar or to who clearly we see when the Mishnah said Ar la Arba Asar it meant the night of the 14th so this is the absolute knockout which forces us to reconsider Rav Huna's opinion until now we've been assuming Rav Huna actually holds Bidigas chametz is the 14th in the morning at this point the Gemara actually retracts from that Ella, rather, at this point, do to a, a total 180 in the Sugi. Bein Ravuna, bein Rav Yudu, or Everybody agrees that the time frame for Abedig Hamas is the night of the 14th. Everybody agrees to that. So what are they arguing about? They're arguing whether R means light or, 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 or not. But everybody agrees that R, in our context, Mission means the night. Means the night of the 14th. So what's Ravuna's point when he said Nagi? Ravuna made a point. R means the day, means the light. That's what Nagi means, the light. What's his point? If he agrees that the Mishnah means the nighttime, what's Ravuna's point that's of saying that R means the light? The answer is Marki Asre or Marki Asre. It was just everybody speaking according to the local language of where they were from. But Asrei to Ravuna, in the land of Ravuna, Karu Nagi, they would call the night the light. That's just the way they referred to the night. How did they call nighttime? The time of light. Now, why in the world would you call nighttime the time of light? So, the Rishonim explained it's Lashon Sagi Nahar. Lashon Sagi Nahar means sometimes you say the exact opposite of what you mean if it's more respectful. So, what, why was it more respectful? Because starting off a of Mesekta, and we're going to get into this now with the term of, you know, the darkness of the 14th, that the bad time, darkness is always the bad, that's something, you know, a little bit not so sort refined of way of speaking. So, instead, in Rafuna's place, the way that they would refer to nighttime was. The light. And ironically, it meant the exact opposite, the night time. So everybody agrees in the interpretation of the Mishnah, we know what it means. It means the night, the night of the 14th. But what language is used? O Rav Huna is saying we use the Lashon r, which means the light of the 14th, which means the night of the 14th. Uvasrej Rav Yehuda, Karu Lele. In the land of Rav Yehuda, they just called it Lele. Now, if you remember from any of these uh, shirim that we've been doing in Shalashud is how Gishmak this Gemara is. Because Rav Yehuda was from Shmuel's yeshiva. Shmuel's yeshiva said, Lele. Shmuel speaks like that. We're going to see in all of what we're coming up that the person who is so into refined speech is not Shmuel, but Rav. Rav Huna is an absolute Talmud muvak of Rav. That's Rav Huna's sensitivity here that the Mishnah does not start off with the word Lele. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say something like that. R doesn't mean night. R actually means light, and it's a blush, and that's backwards to refer to the nighttime. So the Gamar now speaks that out. Tani done my time at the Lele. Why would Artana not say Lele more of like just you know a direct language of nice that's Gemara Lishma Ma'alya who did not got? We're coming with the Lishna Ma'alya. And it seems like everybody to some degree is accepting that. Even, whether "r" means night or "r" means light, and it's a backwards in Whichever way, it's more of like an appropriate, refined speech over uh, saying directly "laila." a person should always be careful not to speak in a uh, in a davar, have something maguna, something derogatory coming out of his mouth. The Torah um, had to add eight letters. Below, in order not to say something which was derogatory it says in the Pasuk in Parshish Noach Noach is bringing animals to the Teva the Pasuk says that he brought the pure animals from animals which were not Tahar so there's a very simple way of saying not nah, Tahar you could just say Tameh Tame is only three letters instead it's saying all these extra letters so the Torah is adding eight extra letters instead of just saying Tameh so for that we see that the Torah went out of its way in order to do that to teach us this lesson about Alt all derogatory Repapa Amartesha Papa says we actually find that it, it made nine extra letters it says in the Pasuk about a person here who has a uh, seminal omission it says it says that there is a person who is not Tahar from an occurrence that he had at night so, what is it, why does the Torah have to say, Asher lo yea tahar? Would it not have been simpler to write, that is Tameh? The answer is, again, the Torah went out of its way adding extra letters. And if you count the letters here, it is nine in order to not say a derogatory way. Now, if you do the math, the only way it could be nine, tahar, sometimes could be spelled with vav, sometimes it could be spelled without above. So, when we made the Cheshbon of nine, that was at a minimum, meaning tahar, even without above, would be. Uh, would add up to nine extra letters. Asher Tahar without a vav. So Ravina now says Eser, it's really 10, because vav tahar, you should pro- there would probably be a vav in the tahar. So if you do the math, you cheshbon the vav. You don't assume the Torah would have written it without a vav, and therefore Rav Papa, I'm sorry, Ravina rather, has one extra letter. Rav Al Bar Yaakov, he brings a pasuk from Navi. we find that the pasuk in Nach adds 16 letters, Shanamar, when this is talking about that David HaMelech was missing and they were trying to figure out what happened to him, so the pasuk says, ki amar mikrehu, bil tahar, kilot tahar. Again, they're saying that perhaps he has some sort of you know, seminal omission that he wasn't able to be present, and they said perhaps it was Mikrahu Bil Tahar, Kilo Tahar. So, very, very repetitive language here, and it, all the way out, going out of its way in order not to say that Tavana was And if you make the Cheshman there with the math, you get 16 letters. Says the Gemara A person should always be careful to speak in a refined way. So, we know of. Now, the laws of Tummah for a Zav and a zavah, in terms of the way they contaminate things, are virtually the same. There's, there's something very unique about Zav and zava that even if they don't make contact with something, but there is something that is meant to sit on or lie on or it's meant to ride on, like for example, a saddle, even if there's no contact directly with the saddle, they still contaminate the saddle to become an Av HaTummah. Now, even though both a Zav and azava have that halacha, by a Zav, the Torah refers to it as any riding equipment. Any equipment that the Zav would ride on is something Subject to that tumer, of an avat the isha when it's talking about the zava Kiro Instead, the Torah speaks about the equipment that she would sit on, but it doesn't talk about the. It doesn't illustrate that scenario of a woman riding. Why? Why? Why not? The answer is because it's immodest for a woman to ride because she has to spread her legs, and uh, it therefore is considered. Modest, and because of that, the Torah doesn't refer to that illustration of the woman who is riding on the uh, on the saddle. Another proof to it. For Omar, the pasuk says, lashon arumim." So here, lashon arumim, it doesn't mean you know, "Vanachash haya arum." It doesn't necessarily mean bad, but it means very smart, very calculated, thought out way of speaking. For another So again, we see that a person carefully choosing their words. So the Gemara asks, why do we have to bring three sources for the same exact? Idea. The idea is speak in a refined way. Ma'iva Omer. Why do I need repeated sources? Maybe I only have to be careful when I'm talking about God's words. Meaning, if I'm talking about the Torah's words, like here in that example with the zava and the zava, and that is an example in God's words, we have to be, have to have refined, refined speech. When the rabbis are talking in a mission or something like that, who says we have to be so careful? And in this context, we're saying that the arumim are actually the chachamim. And that, and that the Chachamim Also have to choose Their words carefully Maybe at least That's only with Torah When you're talking About spiritual matters You speak with refined In a refined way But when you're talking just shooting the breeze Who says there's such a concept So no matter what A person should always have A carefully chosen words Says the Gemara Now the Gemara challenges What we said Regarding a woman The context of a woman It doesn't say That Lashon of writing The Apostle says here we have, this is when Rivka is going to meet Yitzchak. So it says that Rivka got up in so ha, right? So the Pasuk says it explicitly. They're riding on the camels. I thought we say that the Torah doesn't say that language by women. says the Gemara, no. There they weren't riding on a donkey or a horse. They were riding on a camel. A camels very high. So when a woman, even though it's normally immodest to ride, what would a woman do? She would do, you know, side riding, where she has both of her legs only on one side. So she could do that a horse, a donkey, a small animal. If you're talking about a camel, it's very dangerous to do that. It's very high. So there, even though it's normally immodest for a woman to ride, but by a camel, you do it. That, you know, it's always doh, that's it's You've got to be safe. So therefore, that is considered normal for her to ride on the camel in that way, and that's why the Torah depicts it like that. Says the Gemara of Hakshiv, Vayikach Moshe as ishtoves as of Moshe took his wife and children, Vayarkiveim, and he caught, he put them to ride al Hachamar on a donkey. So here we're not at a camel, and yet the Torah still says that Sapphura, Moshe's wife, is riding on the on the donkey. So the Gemara answers also Mishum Banev or there because of the kids. In other words, what's the Gemara saying? For the boys, it's normal to ride. So since for the boys it's normal to ride, so that's why the Torah uses it, despite the fact that for Sapphura it wouldn't happen. Says the Gemara of HaKseh, but we have a Pasuk here. This is by Avigayel. When she goes to, uh, when she goes to, to reach David HaMalach, she went and approached him. So it says in the Pasuk, the Rochheves Alachamar. She is Rocheves Alachamar. So again, it's a donkey, and yet the Torah still says that she is riding. So the Gemara says, the First of all, it was at night. So at night, it's dangerous to do the, you know, not to ride properly in a way because it's dangerous. You know, you don't know what you see. You can't see well. So therefore, even though women normally don't, but at night they do. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, the husband, maybe it's not the concern of the danger of night, but it's intimidating to go to David She was so scared that she would fall off if she wasn't riding properly when she goes and meets the king. Maybe it's not out of the concern of David, but she was riding down a, 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 a mountain. So when you, if you're riding on a flat terrain, then maybe she wouldn't have done it regularly, but if she was. Um, She's going on a mountain. That's why she had to do it. Okay, so the Gemara accepts it. Now we go back to the concept. The concept was it said in the pasuk nena uh, uh, to show us that the Torah doesn't want to say the word Tameh So the Gemara asks, but the rice and milo says What a simple question. There are so many times in the Torah where it does say Tameh So you found one place where it didn't. But what about all the places where it does? So the Gemara clarifies what it says. The Gemara says whenever they would be equal. So then the Torah, in other words, you could say two words of equal length one is more refined than the other, then we always choose the more refined speech. But whenever it would take more words to say the refined speech, then we go for the concise version, despite the fact that it's not as refined. So the Gemara is saying as follows. If your best option is always concise. So even if it's less refined, you always go for, 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 for the shorter one. But if you have two that are equally long, one is more refined, one's less refined, we'll go for the more refined one. Now, what's the obvious kasha on this? We proved that it was so many words, and the Torah still did. So, there are many, many different theories in the Rishonim about why the Torah did it. Some people say that Torah like sets the tone; it says it once in the beginning of the Torah, and then you're good to go, which is a little bit like our Mishnah. The Mishnah starts off with R, you know, to say it's that. But there are many other theories. But this is basically the bottom line: is there's no rule that you can't say Tommy. No such rule. It's just that if you have both options, we definitely prefer saying the option that's more refined. But The best thing is always to teach in a more concise way. Where do we get that from? A person should always teach in a concise way. And it seems that if you look up the Gemara in context, that it's all easier for the Talmud to remember. The more words, the more confusing it is. The more succinct something is, the easier it's retained. Says the Gemara of Kavod. Is it true even that when they're of equal length, we still say in the classier way? V'ha rocheves dadininu, rocheves and yosheves are exactly they length. V'ka'ma rocheves, and it still says rocheves. Now, what pasuk are we talking about? We're talking about the pasuk with Avigai. So, the Gemara is a pellet, because we already gave all the reasons with Avigai why it said rocheves, and why that's in fact what she did. And it's not considered in, in a, you know, a, a derogatory language. But for some reason, the Gemara revisits it, and the Gemara doesn't use that answer anymore. It's very hard to understand. But the Gemara now wants to know... If if, if if Rocheves and Yosheves are of equal length, why does the Pasuk say Rocheves as opposed to Yosheves? So the Gemara answers Rocheves, Ksiv. Actually, if you look inside, there's always a Korean a Ksiv, so it's actually missing a Vav. So Rocheves is actually shorter than Yosheves. So since Rocheves is shorter than, Yo, than Yosheves, even though it's less refined, but the Torah said Rocheves, the Navi said Rocheves as opposed to Yosheves. So that's the Gemara. I don't trade Talmud. There were once two students. The Rabbu was learning in front of Rabb. Chad They finished a long piece of Gemara, and they said one said like this: Hai haishmaitsa. This piece of learning has made me k'davar acher Like a davar acher is always a euphemism for a pig. It's made me like a pig who's very tired. The Amar. And one said shavisi Ki kigedim misanikon. This has made me like a very tired goat. So v'lo ishtoi rav Rav refused to converse with the one who said he was as tired as a pig. And what's the idea? Because a pig, you shouldn't say that. You should you pick a better a better angle, a better animal to, to compare oneself to? Says the Gemara a similar story. There were two students, Aviyasekamidah Hill, who were sitting in front of Hill. The ben The a different version of this story. Kamedah Rabbi, They were sitting in front of Rebbe. The Rabbi and one of them was Rabbi Yochanan. And they were, they were learning the following din. Chara Amar, one was teaching, Mipnei ve'in moskin So let me just give a tiny introduction. The is for food to become subject to tumah. What's the din? It's only when it becomes wet. Wet with one of the liquids, then it becomes subject to a possibility of tumah. So what happens if you're going to use your when you're harvesting your grapes and your olives? You're going to be using a tummy basket. Is that a problem or not? So it's going to depend if your grapes or your olives have had a haksher tuma. So there's a possibility that they'll get a haksher from some of the juice that will ooze out of the grapes or some of the or some of the the oil which will ooze out of the olives. Now is that called a liquid or is that not called a liquid? So the halacha is when you're being boatser when you're Botar is the term that is used when you're dealing with grapes. Then you have to do it betahara. You must use t- tahar kelim. Because if you use non-tahar kelim, what's the halacha? It's going to be metahami. Then because the juice that seeps out of the grapes is, in fact, a liquid. They most moskin betahara. But when you're harvesting olives, there's no such halacha. You don't have to use t- tahar kelim. So that's the question that he asked. Why is the halacha way? And the lashon he used... Was very nice, very respectful. Lashon. He didn't say, ein he said, ein betahar. he used a different Lashon. He used the Lashon, why is it that your bit are betahara, but your mosaic bit So one went out of his way not to use the word Tameh, and one went out of his way, uh, and one did not. So this is the discussion these two, stu- these two students, either in front of, Rebbe, either in front of uh, Hillel or in front of Rebbe. So they said, Whoever spoke in the more respectful language and then went out of his way not to say the word Tameh, I am confident that he's going to end up being a big Mora Horah. Uh, he's going to end up being a big Rabbi. It wasn't, it wasn't so, it was a few, just a few days later, Acha Horah Rabbi Yisrael was fulfilled and whoever this was, either Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, or it was about Rabbi Yochanan. Says the Gemara another anecdote like this, there were three koin. Now, just this is awesome because this is talking about the lechem Aponim. The lechem Aponim, you only have 12 loaves to be distributed with the whole Mishmar of the Koin. So, if you think about it, you break it down, each Koin is not going to get that much. You're going to get a very, very small portion of the bread. So, they were complaining about how small the amount of bread was. He says, I only got the size of a bean. Says, I only got the size of an olive. And I got the size of a tail of. I don't know exactly what I'll tell you is if it's a lizard or a different kind of rodent, but the point is that he was saying like a very small size, the size of a tail of some rodent. So that was not a nice way to speak. So Badku Akharov, they examined this coin zikos, multiple Shemith possible, they found that in fact he was invalid, he wasn't the Fatavodah. And the reason they did that is because once they saw he was speaking that way. Then it was a big red flag and they, they, they looked into him more and they invalidated him. So the martyr says, but, but what do you mean? that Whenever you know a Kohen does Avodah, you know that he is good Yichas. And the reason why is because we don't allow someone to do that Avodah until we do background checks. So if so, how did this story come to be? We have done a background check. He was a Kohen. Was doing the Avodah. And now suddenly he said a bad word and we look into it and he doesn't have a, a good Yichas. How could such a thing be? So the Gmar says, you're right. He wasn't really invalid. It wasn't like he was a hollow or something like that. It was just that he had bad character. Meaning Rashi explains he was arrogant. That's where it comes from. It's very interesting that Rashi describes it that way. Someone who speaks without a refined speech shows it's like a bad character. It's like an arrogance. And therefore, it wasn't nice that he was doing that. He was a kosher coin We're not saying he was a bad coin. But we're saying we've, we looked into this guy who spoke that way and we found out that he really was not uh, the best human being. No, it could be that literally we found out that he was an invalid. Ah, don't we normally do background checks? Here, the reason we're looking at him is because he shows us that something must have been wrong with our, with our background check. Not everything is perfect. We, we made initially a background check, but now he shows us that he, he doesn't seem like such a good guy. And then subsequently we look into him and we find out that our background check was wrong. Says the Gemara, "Who are a There was once an Armenian. An Armenian is a goy, a non-Jew. He would pretend a fascinating thing. He would pretend he was a Jew. He would go and uh, present himself in the of Hamikdash, and he would get himself onto a carbon pesach, and he would eat from the meat of the carbon pesach. And he was boasting about it. Here, God wrote in the Torah that a non-Jew is not allowed to partake in the carbón, and an uncircumcised person cannot partake. And me, I eat from the best of the best, meaning I really got those Jews. I tricked them all. said to him, "Did you really think they got the best of the best? Did you ever eat from the meat of the tail?" So Amaleh Lo, he said, "No, actually, no. I never got a portion of the tail." So Kisalik Lahasam. When you go there, This is Rev. Yehuda Meiser advising: when you go up to Israel next next year, you should ask them Safulim Alia that you want a portion of the tail because the tail is the best. So Kisalik, the next year Amalu May He asked to have a portion from the tail. Amalei, they said, "What is wrong with you? Alia Lagavah Salka. The Alia is not eaten." So it's actually very interesting because you could you could, well, yeah you could bring a carbun from either a sheep or a goat. Mm-hmm. And it, whether or not the aliyah is burned in his back or eaten depends. By sheep, it's burned and not eaten. And by goats, it's eat, it, it is eaten. So it's actually not like a crazy thing. It's not like, he, it's not like the guy was... It's very interesting. Tosa struggles a lot with this Gemara. It just seems that Klai so regularly brought sheep and not goats. And by sheep, the aliyah is burned. So they were like, what is wrong with you? Don't you know that the aliyah is burned? So, so they investigated. They asked this Armenian guy. They say, who asked you... Where'd you get that idea from? <laughs> so, Amr, my high. Obviously, of Maseyra knows the Pasuk in the Torah that the sheep's tail is burnt. My high to come on. So, they examined who he was. They found that he was Armenian, and look what they did. They killed him. Whole discussion in the what exactly, which crime did he do that that, that required death? A whole discussion. Shalkele, of Maseyra, the rabbi sent the following message to Rebidim Maseyra. Shalom, Rebidim Maseyra. Peace, Rebidim Maseyra. The Atp Nitzivin. You're all the way in Nitzivin. It seems like the Nitzivin is... Not in the land of Israel. You're all the way in the netzivan. But your trap, your power, your influence is felt all the way here in Jerusalem. Says the Gemara of Kahana, The Kahana was very sick. They said, uh, go look at what's going on. You know, how's he doing? Also, he looked, he goes. He saw that he had passed away. So, so he rips his garments, that's what you're supposed to do if somebody passed away. But he didn't want to like, surprise them and startle them when he returned with the, you know, that, that the person had died. So he put the rip to the back of his clothing. When he was crying, so Amrullah, they said to him, What? Did he die? So Amr he said, his response was, I will not say. That was his response. He didn't want to say he died, instead, he said, I will not say. Because we look at this possible mission, di that it's a foolish thing to, to be the bearer of bad news. So therefore, he refused to say the words that the samurai had passed away. Says the gemara, similar story. Yochanan He went out to the villages. Rashi says that to examine the fields, how, how the crops had grown. So also When he came back, so Amrle they asked him. Chitim nazi yafos. New was it a good wheat crop? So Amalahem. His response was. So or nazi yafos. The barley was good. Meaning, I'm not going to tell you where the wheat was bad, but the barley was good. So I'm relayed, say, why don't you go tell the horses? Meaning to say, who eats barley? Animals. So I'm not interested in that. You, you said it's such a ridiculous thing. You know, maybe you should go tell the horses that the barley is good. So, my, so the Gemara now says, so my havala, what should he have said? Meaning, He's not supposed to report bad news and say the wheat was bad, but saying that the barley was good also doesn't make sense. So what should he say? So the answer is, he should say, Shtak He should say, last year was a really good wheat crop. Inami The lentils, the beans were good, because that at least is food that human beings eat.